want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And our under-shepherd will read his text. Thank you, David. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We'll look at verses 35 to 39. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's one of those verses for me that jumps off the page. And it says, look closely, ponder, meditate. And that's, that's what I want to do for a few moments this evening, focus on that one verse. But just to notice how it's framed, verse 35 is a summary verse of the ministry of Jesus. It's actually, just keep your finger there, go back to chapter 4, verse 23, virtually the same words framing the ministry of Jesus, as it were, ahead of time, telling you what to look for through the gospel. What is his ministry all about? Chapter 4, 23, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Here's a reiteration of that in chapter 9, virtually the same words. In a sense, answering the question, what is Jesus doing? The verse I'm going to look at almost answers the question, why is he doing it? The people are like sheep without a shepherd. And then the last two verses of chapter 9 perhaps answer the question, what's to be done about it? And that is, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his vineyards. A lot you could say about that. Those of you who are concerned with world missions know this is a praying mandate for sending missionaries to the world. So let's just take some time 
uh, if you'll indulge me, to focus on uh, verse 36 in particular. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I love the verse because of what it tells us about Jesus. I'll just mention four things. Number one, it tells us how he understood his identity. So here's an interesting question. Is this Matthew, the gospel writer's observation about Jesus based on Matthew's understanding of the Old Testament? Or is this Matthew essentially saying, you know, I've heard Jesus talk to us in our little small groups about his understanding of his ministry. I'm going to favor the latter. I'm going to, we don't know exactly, but I'm going to favor that Matthew has been privy to Jesus' observations of the masses. And Jesus saying, guys, they look to me like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and they're helpless. But where does this notion come from? This is obviously the shepherd of David's Psalm 23. It is the shepherd of Asaph's Psalm 80, which begins, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Israel like a flock. David Miner pointed out to me earlier in the week that when God had told Moses he was about to die in Numbers 27, in response to this announcement, Moses asks God to raise up a leader who will go in and out with the people. And according to verse 17, in Moses' words, a leader who will, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep who have no shepherd. There's this theme set up right in the Pentateuch. And so it raises the question, as the history of Israel unfolds and God raises up leaders for them, are they in fact shepherds who will shepherd the people or do they leave the people of God as sheep without a shepherd. Sadly, the prevailing report is, according to the prophets, the people were deprived of good shepherds over and over and over again. Isaiah 56, for example, talks about shepherds who have no understanding. Jeremiah 23, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. And that classic passage in Ezekiel 34 an entire passage devoted to condemnation of the shepherds of Israel. One verse, for example, 34.2, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock. And in that chapter, God promises, I will shepherd my people. That promise is fulfilled in Jesus, the good shepherd. Of Israel. What is required of shepherds? Essentially that they feed, lead, and protect the flock. That is precisely what we see accomplished in the ministry of Jesus. If there's any doubt, read John chapter 10, Jesus' own reflection on the fulfillment of the good shepherd metaphor as he tells us how he has come to shepherd God's flock. Jesus' observation of the masses shows that the people are not being shepherded by their leaders. They're being starved. How would we know? What would be the evidence that the people in Jesus' day, under the direction of their elders and the religious leaders, how would we know that they were, in fact, being well taught? They would have recognized what? 
Jesus as the good shepherd. They would have hailed him as Lord, embraced him as the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the shepherd of Israel. By and large, they did not. That's the first thing we learned, something about Jesus' own sense of identity. He knows he is that shepherd come so that the people of God are, in fact, led by the good shepherd. It would never be said of Jesus that he fed himself and not the sheep. Secondly, it tells us of Jesus' attentiveness. It says he saw the crowds. Most leaders bury themselves away in their castles, rather unconcerned with the foot traffic of the masses. Not Jesus. He walked among them as any good shepherd is always among his flock. So close that they say real shepherds can hear the voice of their master as distinguished from the literal voices of other shepherds. He lived among them. And that is Emmanuel, God with us, our shepherd with us. That's how he notices the people. One of the ways Janice has taught me to love her over the years is to pay attention to the things that are important to her, like pick up your laundry off the floor, put it where it belongs. Jesus is attentive to the things that are important to the people. And we see in 1 Peter 2.25 this notion that God has come to be with us and that Jesus is our shepherd drawn into one image. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.25, You were straying like sheep but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. That Greek word overseer is the word you probably heard of before, Episkopos, it's a compound, skopos, to look at closely. Epi is a prefix that intensifies the word that follows it. So literally, the overseer looks closely at. That's the role of the shepherd, the role of the elder, to look closely at the hearts and lives of those that they care for. Jesus is both shepherd and episkopos, overseer of our souls. Notice Jesus' attentiveness. He sees the crowds. Thirdly, notice his heart. What is his response to the crowds, according to the text? He has compassion on them. Human misery breaks his heart. Human suffering immediately moves Jesus to alleviate it. He never met a funeral procession where he didn't stop and raise the dead. As far as we know, every sick, every crippled, every demon-possessed person brought to him, every, law, every blind person, every deaf person, Jesus was moved to remedy the effects of the curse. He's come to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found. It matters to Jesus that the people of God are harassed and helpless. Probably in the context it means they're not being taught the truth by their leaders. They're not being tended to, led, fed the word of God. And it moves him to compassion. This is the Jesus Paul could describe in 2 Corinthians 10 as meek and gentle. Perhaps a simple echo of Jesus' own words in Matthew 11. The first hymn was based on that, wasn't it? Jesus said, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I'll refresh you. Take my yoke upon me. You learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. 
Isn't that the kind of heart you need when you know you are desperate of your own resources? When you are bruised and broken by the fall? When you have nothing to offer God? When you feel worthless? All these things? What do you need? What kind of God do you need? You need a God whose heart is gentle, humble, compassionate. This is Jesus. This is the one it's okay to admit your helplessness to. I can't fix my life. That you can freely admit to Jesus. He'll never despise your sin. He'll never despise your weakness. He'll never despise your helplessness. He's your only hope for your helplessness. He loves wayward sheep. He loves to find them. He does not despise your feebleness. And the things we try to hide from others, our own brokenness, the ravages of our own pride, Jesus knows and you can bring to him in the light of his word and his presence. He's the very shepherd we need, beloved. Lastly, this tells us about Jesus' power. What does Jesus know about being harassed and helpless? Well, on the cross, Jesus was quite helpless, literally nailed there in physical immovability. In fact, the Greek word for harassed was used, to, uh, was used of skinning something and flaying something. Jesus' back was literally flayed with a cat of nine tails with which he was whipped before he went to the cross. Jesus knew helplessness like no other human being ever before. The word harassed, excuse me, the word helpless actually referred to a mortal wound leaving someone immovable, and the word harassed had to do with flaying. What did Jesus know about harassment? Well, there he is hanging on the cross, and what are the masses doing? They're harassing him. Come down from there if you're the son of God, mocking him, jeering him. He saved others, let him save himself. Jesus experienced harassment and helplessness like no human being ever has. And here's the irony of the gospel. Jesus is the good shepherd who protects you by dying. Every other shepherd in history protected a sheep by vigilant watchfulness, by being on his game, by being physically fit to wet fend off those who would attack the sheep. Jesus protects you from the condemnation of your sin. He protects you from the judgment of the wrath of God by dying for you on his cross. What glory, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's the exercise of his power to save you from your weary, sheepy waywardness. He exercises his power also by making sure his Holy Spirit opens your ears to hear the call of the good shepherd, come to me. If you have responded to the call of Jesus to be saved, to receive him as Lord, it's because his power through the Holy Spirit has unstopped your ears. You've heard the voice of Jesus and you have responded. What glory. Thirdly, Jesus' power is extended to defend you from the harassment of the powers of spiritual darkness and wickedness. Human beings have no chance against them. Too clever, too powerful for us. But in the light of Jesus' word and the presence of his spirit, you have power over those enemies. They don't have to harass you. You have the word of truth. You have the armor of God to be saved from them. Finally, the power of Jesus, he'll create a new world where there's not a hint of harassment or helplessness. It'll all be gone. In a word, Jesus, by his power, will eradicate all evil and create for you a new heavens and new earth to enjoy him 
face to face, not only hear his voice, but see his face. Let's pray. Good shepherd of our souls, who would think the way you would protect, feed, guide, defend, would be dying in our place. Thank you for this sacrifice. Thank you for the glory, glory of your atoning work on the cross, making us one with your Father. Thank you for unstopping our ears to hear your voice. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. We praise and thank you for the rest we have in Christ. Nothing to prove, nothing to lose. Safe, you are our harbor, you are our rock. You are our defense, you are our everything. Good shepherd of our souls, draw us unto you that as willing sheep we might follow you. Confident that as sheepdogs pursuing the pack of sheep, goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. That protection, that love, secured through the death of Jesus and his resurrection. Thank you in his precious name.